Hello, and thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Raising OKC Kids. Today, we are talking about feeding our kids. Many new moms or even veteran moms need support as they embark on their breastfeeding journey. Here to chat with us is Becky Mannell, Executive Director of the Oklahoma Mother's Milk Bank, as well as Heidi Russell, Executive Director of the Coalition of Oklahoma Breastfeeding Advocates, called COBA. We are so lucky to have these passionate experts here in Oklahoma that provide resources, help, and support literally on a 24-7 cycle. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. We're excited to be here. I'd love to start with a little bit more in-depth introductions on the both of you. So wearing many hats with us is Becky Mannell, who has worked in lactation for over 30 years. She is currently the board chair for the Coalition of Oklahoma Breastfeeding Advocates, which is our state's nonprofit breastfeeding coalition. She is also executive director of the nonprofit Oklahoma Mother's Milk Bank. Additionally, she is the executive director of the Oklahoma Breastfeeding Resource Center on campus of the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center, which houses the Oklahoma Breastfeeding Hotline, a free call and text resource. In 2020, Heidi Russell became the first executive director of the Coalition of Oklahoma Breastfeeding Advocates a member of the United States Breastfeeding Committee and founded in 2000, COBA's mission is to promote, protect, and support breastfeeding in Oklahoma. Heidi loves collaborating and partnering with other organizations to ensure that Oklahoma families feel supported and empowered as they strive to give their children every opportunity to grow, be healthy, and be strong. So I'd love to open up this discussion by hearing more from you about your own journeys in feeding babies. It's clear you're passionate, you've made it your life's work, but I wanna hear straight from you why you're passionate about helping other moms along the way. And Becky, I'd love to start with you. Okay. Um, well, uh, my journey started um, as many of my generation that are actually, you know, working and active in the lactation field uh, started when um, uh, I start, my husband and I started our own family. And so when our first child was born, I was married to an OBGYN and I still am. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and my uh, oldest now is, I'll give away my age almost, but uh, he is uh, 37 years old. And I quickly discovered, um, well, first I just, I got all the normal information from my OB-GYN doctor, which were breastfeeding pamphlets from the formula industry. And then um, found out after the baby was here that as I was having problems with breastfeeding, that no one knew how to help me. And mm -hmm. I was surrounded by physicians and none of them knew anything about breastfeeding and knew how to help me. And that not only frustrated me, it infuriated me. Uh, why can you have something as important as breastfeeding and encourage moms um, to consider breastfeeding? And then there's no help if you're having any troubles whatsoever. So after a few weeks, my husband came home one day and he said, you know, they just hired this person called a lactation consultant at the hospital. Maybe you should talk to her. And I'm like, how long have you known that? <laughs> 
So anyway, fast forward, um, I certainly that led to me later on, you know, changing uh, careers and going into this field once um, uh, all three of our kids were born and we'd moved here to Oklahoma and kind of, you know, really found the same type of environment that it was very difficult to, uh, you know, as a new mom to communicate or connect with people who were knowledgeable and skilled um, in this field. So mm -hmm. here I am today. I'm sure it's very validating for many of the moms listening, listening to hear that even you, who is married to an expert, <laughs> had issues because it's not easy. And that's what we're here to talk about today. I think that the people that you think should be experts actually are not. That's what I learned too, that everyone in the medical field at that time, that there were hardly, there was hardly anybody who really knew anything about breastfeeding. So so yeah, so I'll turn it over. Let Heidi have a turn. Um, well, I, I, I guess, you know, my breastfeeding journey was 21 years ago with my son. And um, I, I guess it's like, if I knew then what I know now. <laughs> um, and something that I just love about being a part of COBA and being a part of the lactation community is that, um, there's so many resources and um, there are so many folks who are available to help you. Um, one, if you will feel um, confident enough to ask for help. And I think that, you know, I think about, um, you know, 21 years ago um, and, and things haven't really changed in terms of, I think, um, women and um you know, high achieving people and we can do it all right. And that's a stupid question. And, and gosh, what, what is a lactation consultant? Is she the same thing as a nurse? And I just remember um, when I heard about COBA because I had worked professionally in pediatric healthcare, pretty much my entire adult career. And I was like, oh my gosh, there is an organization that advocates for one breastfeeding, but for families and women who um, you know, are, are choosing to um, provide what is the best possible nutrition for your baby, which is, you know, human milk. Um, and so I was so drawn to the mission, um, one, because um, COBA did not have any kind of um, paid staff. So you have this incredible nonprofit breastfeeding coalition founded almost 20 years ago by women such as Becky Mantel, who are working professionally um, to make sure that women have the resources. And I just was so drawn to the mission and really to the board. Um, and it's such a welcoming community, you know, making a job change after spending, you know, 27 years doing something different. And I told Becky actually just yesterday in preparation for um, this podcast and, and some other things, it's taken me three years, I feel, to kind of feel like empowered to kind of go into a room um, and, and feel confident even to, you know, ask questions. Um, but there are so many resources out for not just moms, but for our partners, for dads, for families. Um, breastfeeding is a family affair. Um, and so just, we need to, we need to support our families. We need to support moms, um, and get them the resources that they deserve. Well said it is not done in a vacuum. It's done in a family unit and a community with support. And I'm so thankful you two have made it your career to help 
the community in general um, and support moms. I, I know I speak for so many when I say that. Um, so I'd love to talk about um, what the accreditation process looks like to become an international board certified lactation consultant. Um, Many people might not know that many lactation consultants are board certified. And um, I'd also love to know how many are certified in our state. Why are things like this important when it comes to breastfeeding moms finding the help that they need? Uh, so um, IBCLC, which is the acronym for that really lengthy name you just read off, um, uh, are um, uh, certified by um, an international organization. So. An IBCLC in Australia takes the same certification exam as an IBCLC in Oklahoma, which is really cool. It's really the only healthcare certification um, like that. Um, so that's pretty exciting because we now have um, over 34,000 IBCLCs around the world. Um, and then here specifically in Oklahoma, we have about 200. So we definitely don't have enough. We need more. And I know Heidi can speak to what COBA is doing um, to uh, you know increase those numbers. But um, IBCLCs um, come from different backgrounds and uh, you know a good number may have come up through the nursing profession, but uh, becoming a nurse is not a requirement to be an IBCLC. They, and, and many have maybe done something like I did, gotten interested in this um, when they were starting their own families and decide to you know make a, a career change. Some go to school and you know are interested maybe in nutrition and then hear about lactation and think, oh wow, that's really cool. That's what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> So, um, so there's different um, pathways, um, but kind of the three main elements to uh, meet the requirements um, for the exam are getting um, some general college education, um, and there's some basic education uh, courses that are it's around two to three years worth of college level courses. Then there's lactation specific um, education uh, that they have to complete. And then there's clinical training. So IBCLCs have to have clinical training before they ever become certified. So they're getting, you know, some kind of supervised clinical experience. And that's the only certification out there that um, has both college and clinical training requirements. Um, there's many others um, uh, in the field, um, such as, you know, say a peer counselor or a La Leche League leader, which are also very, very valuable because that's that mother-to-mother -mother support. Um, and they may be volunteers, they may be working in a WIC clinic, um, and, and they're, you know, um, uh, they're not IBCLCs, they're providing just that kind of, you know, more counseling and support. Um, and then you can have, you know, breastfeeding counselors, breastfeeding educators um, who are also valuable, but your IBCLC is your clinical professional that's going to really help address um, you know, is this a mother that's having any other kind of medical complications, um, difficulties with milk supply, painful latch, uh, maybe she had a preterm baby that was in the NICU, um, you know, other, other, you know, challenges that may be happening. So IBCLCs can address all of those. So as Becky had indicated, you know, the IBCLC, it, it is the gold standard in terms of, you know, that lactation consultant, they're, they're board certified. Um, and so two years ago, um, actually it was about three years ago, COBA, we were exploring, um, you know, how can we here in Oklahoma as our nonprofit state breastfeeding coalition, how can we provide um, opportunities for those um, 
who are currently um, in the lactation field to get greater foundation knowledge um, in terms of lactation. And then also um, for those who have worked again, you know, for, for quite a while um, and who have aspired to be an IBCLC, but one have not been able to do it because of, um, you know, financial reasons. It, it's expensive. Um, you know, you, you have to take, um, time to do your clinical hours, you you have to pay to take the exam, you have to recertify. And then we know, um, not just in Oklahoma, but throughout the United States, there, um, there are um, not enough lactation consultants and IBCLCs of color um, here in Oklahoma, um, whether you represent um, a, a Black, Indigenous person of color population, or whether you're serving that population population, um, whether you're serving a population in rural Oklahoma or a marginalized community. And so um, our board, um, through a strategic planning process, um, we initiated our um, scholarship program. And we have, in the last two years, we've um, granted uh, 15 scholarships to lactation professionals throughout Oklahoma. Um, again, we have priority populations um, that, um, again, you know, our, our mission is to increase the number of lactation consultants of color in Oklahoma. We have several wonderful um, granting partners. Um, and so we, we partner with them for about a year. They serve on a COBA committee. We connect them to people like Becky Mantle, to people on our board who are IBCLCs, who can really mentor them throughout the process. Um, it's been so exciting. We have folks from all over Oklahoma, and um, we now have um, three IBCLCs who have taken the exam um, and passed. And then we have four in the pipeline. Um, very exciting. This is actually a model program. We've submitted it to the USBC, which is the United States Breastfeeding Committee. And so I'm really excited to be able to pass our program on to other coalitions throughout the United States. That is wonderful to hear. We're the model example for something like this in, in the United States. That's awesome. Um, and I love hearing the scholarship program information. Um, how much more meaningful is it to get such, you know, it's a very sensitive personal topic. So to get that advice and support from someone who understands you before you have to explain anything, how valuable is that as a mother? You're already feeling so vulnerable. Everyone's telling you your opinions, you know, and you're trying to kind of sort through what's best for your life and your family. So that is, I mean, that is wonderful to hear that that is really a priority within the organization. I thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. One resource that I would love to highlight that you all do is the Oklahoma Breastfeeding Hotline. If you're not familiar with it, it is available free of charge, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year, holidays and whatnot. You do not have to live in Oklahoma to use this service. Um, the hotline is for nursing mothers, but also like we mentioned earlier, their families and their partners, maybe even expecting parents, healthcare providers, anyone in need of breastfeeding support and information is welcome to call this hotline. And further, the hotline is staffed by breastfeeding experts, just like we mentioned, the International Board Certified Lactation Consultants, experts in breastfeeding, the hotline is a callback system, so you can just call and leave a message for a um, return call. 
routine issues, callers are contacted that same day. Um, for non-urgent issues, the IBCLC on call will be paged, and then urgent calls are returned within one hour. There's also a text service that works the same way um, for maybe you're in a position where you can't get on the phone, your baby is screaming, you can't hear somebody in the background. <laughs> Inevitably, you know, there's, there's that urgent need for support at 3 a.m. This always happens, and you just need to be able to quietly ask for advice. It's so helpful. So I'd love to talk about this. What problems and support do breastfeeding experts typically assist with over these 24-hour helpline calls? Either of you can start with this one. Yeah, Heidi, I'll start with this one. Um, and also um, to, to brag um, again, um, when our breastfeeding hotline opened in, um, uh, I want to say 2009, um, we were the first hotline of that sort in the entire country. Oh my goodness, I did not know that. So our hotline has been a model for other states that have um, contacted us and asked all kinds of questions about, you know, how is it funded and how many people do you have and how do you run it and how can we do the same thing? So uh, so we are very, very proud of our hotline. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, year after year, um, one of the number one reasons um, that, uh, you know, mothers or new parents call is some kind of concern about um, milk production. Am I making enough milk? How do I know if I'm making enough milk? Is my milk good enough? Uh, my doctor told me I needed to start supplementing because my baby wasn't gaining weight. Uh, so that's that's a very common question. Um, probably the next most common question that we see in in more recent years now. Um, they you know they kind of change from year to year, but um, lots of questions about medications. You know, um, uh, my doctor told me I need to take this blood pressure medication. Is that going to be? And he told and he told me to call the hotline. <laughs> that's what we're seeing more of as our hotline has you know really. Um, you know, I think raised awareness and, and given good information for so long that physicians refer their patients, you know, we'll call that hotline, mm. call that hotline place and, you know, let's see what they say. And mm. <laughs> so, so those are, and then just, you know, some other, you know, where can I get a, you know, what's a good kind of pump? I'm going to be going back to work. How do I manage that? Um, what do I do if I'm having, um, you know, problems latching my baby um, or, um, you know, I'm in my breast or painfully full how do I manage that um, so you know just almost you know really almost any question that you can think of that a breastfeeding you know mother or family member might come up with so something that um is really helpful and a lot of times the the family will get these um in the hospital is the breastfeeding hotline magnet um which is really great to have right there because we know as new moms, <laughs> sometimes we can't remember, right? Even our husband's or partner's name <laughs> after you come home. So having that magnet is really important. I know we're going to talk about the breastfeeding law cards, but the breastfeeding law cards on the back is the breastfeeding hotline. And um, one of our COBA board members who worked um, in labor and delivery and, and on the mother baby unit for, for years, she said before the family went home, she would program into the cell phone, the breastfeeding hotline. Um, because again, it's like, okay, where's the magnet? Where's the law card? So, you know, that's something that's really important. If you can get that hotline in your phone, um, it, it, it's at two o'clock in the morning, it's easier to find. 
And that's that's actually something I'm glad you mentioned that, Heidi, um, something that we've been um, piloting um, with with our at least right now with our own um, outpatient clinic is if we can make contact with um, uh, a woman during her pregnancy later, you know, maybe towards the end of her pregnancy and and yes, kind of pre enroll her, get her phone number in the hotline with her due date then we could have the hotline, um, you know, uh, system kind of proactively check in with her, you know, hey, I see it's your due date, you know, have you had your baby yet? Remember, the hotline is here, ask us any questions mm -hmm. if you're having problems, because they, you know, they forget and you're overwhelmed. And now wait, what, what, what was that place they told me that I could call if it's two o'clock in the morning? <laughs> and so, um, so that's, that's one thing we're trying to um, pilot. And our, our hotline IBCLCs um, uh, work remotely. So they, you know, they do live um, all over the state and we keep track of what resources are available. So if it's a family that lives in Altus that's calling the hotline and wants to know where can I go if I need to see somebody in person, or I live in Bartlesville, um, the hotline LCs can direct them to, you know, what kind of resources are available in their area. Um, so we really, yeah, try to keep, keep close tabs on, you know, what's going on in different parts of the state. So we know, you know, how to get them if they need in-person, you know, help or support. So. Sure. And Heidi mentioned this uh, earlier in the podcast, but there are a lot of questions and your brain is all over the place. And I do like that those um, experts are taking the calls, but I personally have used the hotline in the past and um, there's no stupid questions. You know, this we're all newbies when we're trying to feed our children, whether or not we've done it before or not is kind of irrelevant because every child and every baby is different. Um, your life stage might be different. Your home envi environment demands, all the things might be different. And so it is nice to have not only expert advice, but I also wanna highlight how um, encouraging and supportive and understanding the hotline representatives are when they are trying to answer questions because sometimes you know just nothing makes sense we keep mentioning at two in the morning nothing makes sense <laughs> so it's sometimes nice to just have somebody tell you you're not crazy well, well and our daughter who is also an OBGYN um uh, when she had our first grandchild and, and they're here in Oklahoma. And of course, here's her mom, you know, she could ask, you know, any breastfeeding question, but I said, okay, Lisa, there's going to be times that just, I might not be available. I mean, I would want you to call me, text me any 24 seven, but here also call the hotline if, if somehow, you know, whatever reason I'm, I'm not available. And she was like, oh no, mom, I, I don't need that. I don't need that. And well, sure enough. <laughs> So my own daughter called the hotline when I was out of town and at a, you know, giving a presentation or something. And she's like, well, I'm not going to call her right now. So that's a great testament. Yes. yes. Well, and we, we, I think have all experienced and heard too, that you, you know, breastfeeding just comes naturally. It's supposed mm -hmm. to just be natural, right? You put the baby to your chest and your breast and it, it just happens. And um, we know that sometimes that happens and most of the time it doesn't. <laughs> right. And things change, you know, and it is, um, I, I appreciate you saying that Heidi, because it, I think that is kind of what we think is going to happen in your head. It's just natural. This is just what you're supposed to do. And even that thought process can be very damaging to the breastfeeding journey. If any hiccups come up along the road that you don't know how to handle. And so even more so why those supportive experts can be really helpful in situations where, you know, your confidence might be hurt. You need to Absolutely. be confident as a mother. 
I remember thinking, um, loading, you know, under the portico at the hospital with my family, my husband, the baby. And I literally remember thinking, they're letting me take him home. Like, <laughs> they're letting me take him home. I really wanted to stay in the hospital. I really liked it at the hospital. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what am I going to do with them when I get home? <laughs> right, right. I'm leaving all the experts behind and I don't feel like the experts. Right. And I was not a young mom. I mean, I was 32 and I literally remember thinking as you're getting to 35, you know, I remember my longtime physician putting AM on my chart. I was advanced maternal and I was thinking, wow, you know, like I could hold the job down. I went to college. I, I did these things and I literally... I, after I read all of the instructions for the car seat, I was like, I, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to leave. I literally don't think I'm going to leave the house. <laughs> it's safer here at home base. I can relate to that. <laughs> well, this, Seriously. this is a good segue to my next question too, because um, like we've talked about breastfeeding journeys really can be wonderful. I mean, we sometimes can collaborate about the painful aspects too, but they really can be wonderful. They can be very frustrating. They can be depleting. They can be a source of tension between moms and babies and even other members of the family, which of course is just the opposite of the mental state that you want to be in when you're trying to breastfeed. Sometimes the symptoms of postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, they creep up so slowly that it's really hard for us as moms to really recognize what they are. Um, so I'd love to hear from both of you, what are some of those telltale signs of postpartum depression, maybe different or similar to postpartum anxiety? And how are these phone operators trained to spot that when they can't see the patient they're talking to? And I'd love to even elaborate on that. What are some of the signs that partners and loved ones should be aware of? So Heidi, do you want to start with that one or you want me to? Um, yeah, well, I can start and then Becky can talk specifically okay. about the hotline. Um, you know, I think that that it's important to remember that um, it's not just postpartum, you know, it can happen during pregnancy. So, and it's it's common. In fact, one in seven mothers um, in Oklahoma will experience some type of postpartum depression or anxiety. Um, if you're pregnant, if you're a mother to a newborn, um, and, you know, some of the, the telltale signs are... Um, having strong feelings of sadness, um, being worried, extremely tired, um, you know, not interested in things that you usually enjoy, um, thinking about hurting yourself, thinking about hurting your baby. Um, it's really important to remember that you're not alone. Um, and um, I, I remember specifically someone, someone that I'd worked with literally for over 20 years, and it happened with her second baby. And I remember visiting her, um, you know, after the birth of her second baby. And I, I like, I knew something was, you know, wrong because I knew her so well. And her mom knew something, you know, was going on. Um, but I think that, again, you just, you're in the moment and, and you don't know what's the matter, but maybe you just know something's the matter. Um, and so, um, you know, having, we talk about having a birth plan and how important that is, but it's really important also to have um, what I learned um, through a, a wonderful gentleman at the Oklahoma State Department of Health named James Craig, um, who we can, we can post his information for you. Having a postpartum plan is so important mm -hmm. um, because 
um, things are so different, like our, our new normals, right? You know, I was thinking about, I gave birth the end of October and um, why did I think it was a good idea for, for me and my husband and um, to, to host Thanksgiving that year? <laughs> you know, I was thinking about, we hosted 35 people at our house for Thanksgiving three weeks after having the new baby, you know, and it's, it's, it's things like that, that you're thinking, okay, um, scheduling, scheduling your sleep, um, as mm-hmm. part of your postpartum plan, um, scheduling a time for you to eat. Think about, um, how busy you are when you're maybe feeding the baby from the breast. And then you're also um, pumping. If you're going back to work, um, maybe you have another child or you have obviously other responsibilities outside of your home or in your household. And then it's four o'clock and you think I haven't even eaten, but I've run like a marathon today because I've been pumping and I've been feeding the baby. And so those are little things, you know, scheduling sleep, um, scheduling food, um, making sure that you have a support system um, that's within your circle of influence to maybe, you know, take the baby for a walk so you can take a shower or you can go to the restroom, you know, without maybe having the baby with you. And then something I remember my OB told me um, when I went back for that, that first visit postpartum, um, because she was tell, you know, she could tell that I, I also transitioned um, from, um, resigning from a job that I absolutely loved to stay home full-time with my baby, which was a, a wonderful and fantastic opportunity for my family. But I just remember I was also grieving, you know, kind of those affiliation needs were not being met. You know, I had a job that I loved. I had a support system and my husband had a new job. So we had a baby on a Thursday, came home on a Saturday and he went to work on a Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember my doctor saying, get out of the house one one time during the day. And, you know, that was really important in terms of vitamin D and um, also some, you know, physical activity um, and light exercise, even if you're just walking around the block with the baby. Um, so, um, you know, again, there are, there are wonderful resources um, at the State Department of Health, and we can post those on the Metro Family website. Um, also, there's a nationwide maternal health um, hotline that you can call 24-7. And again, those are things that are available to us. Your pediatrician can help provide resources as, of course, your OB. Becky, do you have anything you'd like to add? Yes, yes, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, I'd also add just um, sometimes, um, I mean, it's normal to have, you know, of course, we're familiar with the baby blues and kind of being a little down or mood swings and you're overwhelmed, exhausted, but it's when those symptoms seem to get worse and worse and they're not getting better after the first, you know, two to three weeks and moms, you know, who may feel like, you know, they can't get out of bed. They just have, you know, and they, or they feel like they're totally worthless. They're not a good mother. So are, if they actually do reach out, say, and contact the hotline, um, the, the IBCLCs um, certainly know to kind of pick up and, and listen for things that the mother is saying, um, you know, I can't do this anymore. And, and then reach out and make sure that, you know, can we, you know, get her in to uh, see somebody, you know, you need to go back and see your physician, let's get you into, you know, something, you know, in your community to get you some support. Sometimes I think, um, uh, 
some, some mothers may go home and um, they may be single parenting. And, you know, mm -hmm. as Heidi said, you know, you're trying to go back to work and maybe maybe you had little to no maternity leave and and you are completely overwhelmed. And how can I possibly do all of this and still be a good mom? So those feelings can certainly really worsen. And we want moms and parents to ask for help and accept help if somebody offers it to you. Don't wait to ask for help, even if you've got family support, if you've got friends or colleagues that, you know, hey, I want to bring a meal over. Can I come over and help do the laundry? Oh, no, I got it. You know, no, 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 no. You don't need to bother. I don't want to impose on, no, any help that anybody, can I go to the grocery store for you? You know, take those offers of help and then, and then listen to family members, you know, who may be, be picking up on some of these signs that, you know, you just don't seem yourself. You know, let's, let's go and talk to somebody. Uh, so it's very important that they listen, you know, to people. Mm -hmm. I remember it was really um, important. Many of my kind of close friends had children before me, and it was really important. My sister-in-law came over um, with her breast pump. I had borrowed her breast pump, and she showed me, you know, what to do with the breast pump, which was so helpful because I literally was like, I, I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know how to, you know, clean it. I didn't know how to once, if I could freeze the milk, if I could warm up the milk in the microwave, like that was so important to have, like really, um, you know, feel vulnerable. You're already in a vulnerable state, but having um, having someone there that you really trust that you you could feel vulnerable with going, hey, I don't know what I'm doing here. And, and you know, what do I do if I go the grocery store my baby cries and you know my my breasts start leaking everywhere and we've been there and she was like oh they have these great things called you know um you know nipple guards or you know the breast pads and I just remember once I figured out how to put those in I felt so much more confident that I wasn't going to go somewhere and you know kind of have like wetness all over my shirt and I just didn't know those things so it was really helpful having kind of those people who have gone before you you know offering that support um, was really helpful because you don't want, sometimes you don't know to ask the questions. And then again, you don't, you just feel like, oh, I should know these things. Yeah. Well, and we were not meant to do this in a vacuum is kind of the moral of the story. We were not meant exactly. to be doing this in an isolated state. And I think that's why you two are here talking about what you do, because this is a big job. <laughs> Raising, growing, feeding, caring for a human is a big job. And your mental state, um, taking care of your own mental health is taking care of your baby. And so I really appreciate the advice um, and, and pointers too that you've given us. Um, as it relates to postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, and a couple more of the great resources that you offer um, at the Oklahoma Breastfeeding Resource Center are um, things like the Oklahoma Breastfeeding Law Card. Heidi, you kind of mentioned this earlier. The law card is available at the Resource Center in um, both English and Spanish, which is very important in this community. So I'd love to talk about when and why you identified this law card as a needed resource for working and non-working moms. And and how you've seen it be helpful um, since its conception. Well, Heidi, I'll, I'll start with that since um, at least the win part, um, uh, uh, rewind about 20 years and when we didn't really have any, any type of breastfeeding laws in our state. And um, through COBA, we were working to pass our first um, 
uh, state law um, around breastfeeding, and that was the breastfeeding in public, because mothers were being harassed for nursing their baby if they were at a restaurant, if they were at Walmart, or and being asked to leave, um, if they were at a community park um, and sitting there on the bench nursing their baby, somebody would get offended and say, "You you need to leave." So we uh, passed um, a law um, and we were not the last state to do that either. <laughs> so that was really nice. Um, and then we realized um, through with our health department and our uh, WIC service, well, how are we gonna raise awareness? Um, we need um, a little law card. Um, we need something that moms get um, when they go home with their baby, that they go home and know what the laws are in the state. So that's kind of where that came up. Um, and we'd seen, you know, examples in a couple of other states and thought, you know, that's something that the health department um, can help us help help um, produce. So they're freely available. You can order them off the health department website. Certainly you can get them through the Breastfeeding Resource Center. We try to get them out to all the birthing hospitals so that um, moms are getting that when they go home. And maybe, you know, we try to get them to prenatal clinics. Um, so they're, you know, but it's it's um, it's out there and it's freely available if they download it from the COBA website, the health department website. Um, so Heidi, do you want to yeah add anything? Um, yeah, I mean, there, you know, it is, it's a wallet size card. It's a little bit bigger than the size um, of a credit card. Um, and one side is, is the law, all the laws, and the other side is the breastfeeding hotline also. Um, and I think what it also does for, for families um, and for supporters, you know, within your family unit, whether it's you're, you know, you're going to the convention center downtown for a concert, you know, and you have your mom with you or you have other parts of your, you know, folks in your family, um, we can give them to, we can give them these too because they are there to support us. Um, you know, like Becky said, if you're someplace and, and, and people, um, feel uncomfortable around you because you're breastfeeding your baby in public, or if um, we've had, you know, calls to Kobo where, um, you know, someone's at a, at a restaurant and, and they come over, the manager of the restaurant comes over and says, you know, I'm sorry, you're going to need to go to the restroom um, to, to feed your baby. Well, um, that's not the case because the law in Oklahoma says that anywhere you have the right to be, you have the right to feed your baby. And so, um, you know, this, this gives us confidence if we need that to, to say thank you. It, th thank you for um, that information, but but here's how I, I can, um, you know, um, educate you today and your staff so that the next time a breastfeeding family comes in, they, they can feel welcomed um, in your establishment. Um, and also, um, it, you know, throughout, throughout the United States, in fact, I just got, um, off a plane a couple of days ago. And every time I'm in an airport, in fact, my husband um, is now trained. He's like, there's the lactation room. There's the nursing room. <laughs> and, you know, and it's really nice now because in airports, in addition to having, um, you know, maybe a family restroom, they, there's also um, lactation pods um, that, um, that are there where you can go into the lactation pod. There's oftentimes like soothing music. So you can't kind of hear what's going on around you, which gives you an opportunity to kind of relax, to feed your baby. And so we're seeing, you know, these opportunities um, and, and support systems um, throughout, throughout the, the United States and in our, in our state. Um, in fact, um, Becky and I just had an opportunity to tour the Oklahoma County Courthouse 
Um, you, if you are a breastfeeding um, parent and you are called for jury duty, um, you are exempt. You can ask for an exemption for jury duty if you choose. If not, and you want to fulfill that civic duty, um, we had an opportunity to, to tour the courthouse and they have some beautiful lactation spaces there at the Oklahoma County Courthouse. Um, we're working with them on becoming what's called um, breastfeeding friendly work site um, designation in Oklahoma through COBA and the Oklahoma State Department of Health. There are almost 400 um, companies, hospitals, health departments throughout Oklahoma who have gone through a process. Um, they've created a lactation space uh, for their employees or guests um, that come to their facilities. They have a formal lactation policy for their employees. Um, and um, what we know is um, having a breastfeeding friendly supportive environment um, for families once they return from you know, their family leave, um, it makes the process uh, much easier, not just for that lactating person, but for the employer also. Um, that's something that's really important to remember. Um, Talking about um, the need to pump for breastfeeding um, once you return to your place, you know, your place of employment outside of your home, that really needs to happen before you go on leave. Um, sometimes maybe we don't feel comfortable talking with our, our you know, supervisor or our HR department, but, but those are things that um, really need to happen, you know, before you go um, on maternity leave. Um, it, it makes for a better situation for all involved. I do like how the law card outlines that because so many of us are dual income families. So many moms do go back to work and if they choose to continue breastfeeding, what are their rights? We've talked about how, how vulnerable uh, breastfeeding can make you. And I think that's highlighted in the workplace um, where you're kind of performing as both roles in your life. Um, so that is very important. And it's it's important to know what an employer can and cannot ask of you if you choose to breastfeed. And I like how the law card outlines that kind of gives you some scripts for what to say if you are approached with an awkward question or an inappropriate um, suggestion or response, especially from a supervisor or something like that. So absolutely. Definitely. And we know that we know that there are some, um, you know, some occupations where um, there are more um, um, employees who are female or more employees who are of, of childbearing age um, than others. And so, again, like you said, Kirsten, um, the law card really sometimes you're the one that is um, educating you know, obviously your supervisor or maybe that HR person and, and they will thank you um, because you're you're setting that that opportunity for the next person um, or persons who come after you to have um, a good experience when they come back to work. It's not fun to be the first, but it is a needed step. And, and surprisingly, there are still a lot of trailblazers in this area in many Oklahoma companies. So I appreciate that that law card gives us that um, support, confidence, and then like we said, that script for how to move forward and what are our rights very clearly outlined. Um, it's not fun to be the first, but it is, it is needed for those who come after us. Um, 
in that regard. So I'd love to move on to another amazing resource. I, I keep saying all these amazing resources that you've brought forward, which is the Oklahoma Mother's Milk Bank. It's a nonprofit organization that provides pasteurized donor human milk to preterm babies in Oklahoma's NICUs, and also for outpatient babies in the community who live at home and need the specialized nutrition. I'd love to hear a very quick synopsis on when it was established, when the milk bank was established, and who you specifically help in the community, and how many maybe families and babies you've been able to serve since you were founded. Okay. Uh, well, I'll start with that, and Heidi can certainly um, add anything um, that I maybe uh, uh, miss, but our Oklahoma Mother's Milk Bank um, became accredited um, through the Human Milk Banking Association of North America, another big long acronym, or Habana, and that's who sets the guidelines for all the nonprofit milk banks. So uh, so our um, we are celebrating our 10th birthday this year. So 2013, um, we, we dispensed our first bottle, <laughs> our first little batch of um, safe pasteurized donor milk. So, uh, so we're very excited to be celebrating um, 10 years of um, dispensing milk um, throughout the state and even in some nearby states that don't have a milk bank. Um, and once again, yeah, when our milk bank opened um, in 2013, uh, we were the 13th milk bank in the country, uh, and we now have 28. So uh, to kind of give you a picture there. And as far as who we serve, um, most of the milk goes to um, preterm or critically ill babies in the hospital in those neonatal intensive care units. Um, and then more recently, as we just did this year, um, now have Medicaid coverage for um, babies after discharge if they have a medical need um, after, you know, um, after they go home from the hospital and maybe something, a, a complication, you know, develops, um, you know, several weeks, you know, down the road, then, then those babies um, uh, we can serve um, better now with the Medicaid coverage. So, um, so it's hard to put a number because we dispense when a lot of our milk goes straight to the hospitals and then they're, um, you know, dispensing it to, you um, the babies in their care. Um, so, uh, you know, preterm ill babies in the NICU uh, that we might dispense. Um, um, some milk goes to what I think of as, you know, your mother baby units where your generally term healthy babies are, but uh, maybe a mom is trying to breastfeed and she has maybe the mother developed diabetes during pregnancy and the baby needs to, you know, is struggling with some low blood sugars and we can provide um, and the hospital can provide some donor milk to kind of help bridge the gap in those very early days of breastfeeding. So uh, so kind of several scenarios there were donor milk. Um, and, and the goal is always um, we absolutely want own mother's milk um, for each baby as much as possible, you know, as long as possible. And then donor milk would be the next best option to kind of, um, you know, cover any gap um, that we have in, you know, the volume of milk that's needed for a baby. So I would just add um, that um, the the milk bank um, is also um, home to to COBA's office. Um, we have a really wonderful working relationship with the Oklahoma Mother's Milk Bank. It's really awesome because at the OUHSC here in downtown Oklahoma City, um, you have our state's breastfeeding coalition, you have the Oklahoma Mother's Milk Bank, and then you have the Oklahoma Breastfeeding Resource Center. It's just such a collaborative, synergistic um, relationship that 
you don't always find um, in other states. And so um, as the director of COBA, I'm so grateful um, for the opportunity to collaborate with the Milk Bank in something that um, is just a, a program um, at the Milk Bank that, that is just such a beautiful program. Um, is the bereavement program that the Oklahoma Mothers Milk Bank offers. In fact, um, we're so excited. We have a beautiful new memorial wall that was recently painted at, at the new Milk Bank headquarters um, here at the um, OUHSC. Um, it's called the Silas Murphy Memorial Wall, and it's honoring those um, children, babies, um, families, and mothers who um, have donated their their milk um, um, lactation after loss, donated their milk after they have lost, um, you know, a baby, um, and that's that's something that that I never thought about really until I, I think I was officing here at the milk bank um, and really realized that um, there there are women and families who experience um, lactation after loss and. You know, that's something that's a really difficult process and the milk bank um, helps moms um, and, and is a resource for those families. And it's just a really beautiful thing that some mothers and families choose to do is um, donate that milk, um, which saves the life of other infants. And so, um, again, it's a really delicate um, situation, but we have a wonderful coordinator here named Holly and is just really available and, and so sensitive to the family's needs. And so um, if you're in that situation, um, it's, it's a really beautiful program. Yeah, um, moms can really be, um, uh, I think, traumatized when if they don't realize, and sometimes the healthcare providers don't realize how lactation works either. And if you um, carry a pregnancy, say to 18 weeks, and then maybe lose the pregnancy. Um, so you go home without a baby. So that's traumatic um, enough. And then no one says anything about lactation and that you're still producing mm -hmm. milk and you're still going to see, you know, increased milk volume. And so then that happens two or three days later and the, the moms are caught by surprise and dismayed. And what do I do now? And oftentimes the hospitals are like, we don't know what we didn't know that was going to happen either. Mm -hmm. That's a normal part of lactation. And so the milk bank can certainly walk them through what they're, you know, if they want to uh, suppress or dry up their milk, you know, here's what you do. If you decide you want to pump and donate, you know, in, in honor and memory of your baby, then here's what you do. And it's amazing um, how many, you know, we see that choose um, to do that. It's a really, really special gift that those mothers give when they do that. Um, and, and, and they, uh, especially if they've lost um, a pregnancy, for many of those mothers, you know, say that that that's kind of public acknowledgement that I am a mom. And while well, I didn't come home with a baby, but I'm still a mom and I have a pregnancy body and all of this is happening. I just didn't come home with a baby. Well said. And that is beautiful and something that many of us hopefully will not experience. But if you do, it's that is a beautiful way to honor the life of, of what has passed. Thank you so much for sharing that. 
Um, there's so much information on the Milk Bank's website about being a donor, um, whether you're in a bereavement situation or you just have an oversupply. Um, there's ways to volunteer. Um, there's donor requirement processes. So definitely check that out if you feel called that is a need in Oklahoma, um, especially with what we've all been hearing about in the past few months, the formula shortage. It's put so much strain on families trying to find the best way to feed their babies. I'd love to hear from you about how families were able to access milk from the milk bank and how the milk bank adjusted in light of the formula shortage. Oh my gosh. Well, um, certainly, um, Kristen, we were all um, uh, truly shocked and caught by surprise that we could even have something like that happen here in the United States. And the phone calls um, that we had at the milk bank, we were um, yeah, we were quite deluged and uh, with just panicked families. I just I just can't even fathom being, you know, in a situation where I felt I had no way to feed my baby. Mm -hmm. uh, and so so one thing is so two things our um, staff could do. One was first to, you know, kind of um, talk through what's going on with a, you know, given um uh, mom and her baby and, you know, what formula was your baby on? And and one thing families often don't realize, well, babies that were on, you know, maybe a particular name brand standard formula, all of the formulas are pretty much the same. And but the marketing and, and so forth of the formula industry, um, that's that's kind of another whole topic, but but they're really good at selling their specific product and and kind of giving the message that your baby won't tolerate any other formula. And that is not true. And if they've been on an expensive name brand formula, we could educate them. You know, if there's another, you know, they're all good quality formulas. If it's the store brand of formula that's on the shelf, buy it. That is good. That is safe to feed your baby. You will have something to feed your baby. And then in other situations, if say it was a baby or a family um, that they were maybe on some other type of specialty or high-risk formula um, that they were, you know, afraid they might not be able to buy or were struggling, you know, to, to find. We also kind of had a, a bridge program so that we could dispense some small volumes of donor milk um, to those families or ship it to them. You know, we, we would FedEx overnight because um, the milk is dispensed frozen. So, so we tried to help um, as much as we could with families, you know, in situations like that as well. Um, but we, you know, the other thing, and that's, that's my university hat with all the professional education that we do of health care providers, doctors, nurses, and hospitals, and so forth was, you know, to recognize too, that, um, we've talked a lot about breastfeeding today. And yet we, we certainly realized, um, during the formula crisis that by six months of age, 75% of American babies are getting formula. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's how challenging that's how many barriers we have in our society to breastfeeding mm -hmm. um, and how do we how do we how do we turn those numbers around so that we don't have so many families that are so dependent on formula so how do we improve our breastfeeding outcomes which mm -hmm. you know, will help alleviate <laughs> um, this this you know type of situation you know in the future so and Kirsten you you know you mentioned the 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 wonderful resources that we've talked about today. And I would also just um, kind of caution new families that, um, you know, the organizations such as COBA, the Mother's Milk Bank, Oklahoma Breastfeeding Resource Center, the American Academy of Pediatrics, 
Um, you know, the information we provide is evidence-based, and we know that um, a lot of information online within, you know, social media and things like that, um, we saw during, you know, the formula um, crisis that, um, you know, there were a lot of information that was being um, disseminated that that was not safe, um, and um, just really make sure that the information that you're getting is from a trusted source. Um, and and um, and and again, the the resources that we provided for you today. Um, you know, your your physician, your pediatrician, your board certified pediatrician, your family practice physician, your lactation consultant, um, and again, the organizations that we've talked about today. It's nice to have organizations like that behind us when we're in those states where we're just not sure what's true. We know where to reach out. We know we've got support. We've got someone who has our back that maybe knows more than we do about the situation. So I just can't thank you two enough for all the information you've provided, all the work you're doing for breastfeeding moms, for families in Oklahoma. Thank you so much to you both for joining us today. I know so many of our listeners appreciate this information. It might be the first time that they really have heard the full breadth of what you of what you offer. So as a wrap up, I'd love to hear about maybe one thing that brings you hope and encouragement through the important work you do every day. Uh, Becky, let's start with you. Oh, one thing. Um, I think um, uh, I think one and I, um, I think I, I do a lot of training, as I said, so working with hospitals around this our state and training. Um, nurses, um, physicians, and um, I think just so much more um, interest, openness, and seeing that um, because what I experienced 37 years ago with my first baby where no one around me in a medical environment knew anything about breastfeeding. And to see that, um, that that's changing and we have people that sign up to come to a two-day training because they know they need to know more about breastfeeding and they want to learn more and they want to be able to help their families better and answer all those questions and, and provide that evidence-based information. So seeing, I think, that, that change within the healthcare field um, is really rewarding to me because if, if we can do that, then we have even more resources and more support out there for the families um, when they need it. And it's a it's a time sensitive um, issue to get breastfeeding support, you know, in a timely fashion. Um, gosh, you know, a couple of things. So I, you know, as human beings, we are we are designed to be in community with people. And so, again, just, you know, surrounding yourself with folks um, who um who are here to support you. And, you know, I, I, I'm really excited. One of our new COBA board members just had her first baby last Friday. Um, I think she's about 36. So first baby at 36. And it's just been such a joy to kind of follow with her, her pregnancy. And um, I, you know, I texted her and I'm like, just please let us know when he arrives. And he arrived a little earlier. And, you know, here she is a D1 athlete. She played college basketball. And I shared with Becky yesterday, she sent me a text. She's like, girl, you didn't tell me about this childbirth thing. <laughs> and 
I just love when an that. athlete says that, you know, right? because like she's a strong woman in many ways, physically, emotionally. She's a licensed professional um, counselor. And mm-hmm. I just love that, you know, because we are here to support each other. And then also, you know, um, just normalizing breastfeeding. It is a critical public health issue. Yes. It is a public health issue. And I love the opportunity that, you know, when we can be in community with people and talk about these issues because we're here to help each other. Um, and so I'm just, I'm really hopeful that there are organizations out there who want to know more about breastfeeding, access to human milk, um, and that we don't have to in, invent the wheel, you know, reinvent the wheel. Um, there are resources, not just in Oklahoma, but nationwide. I, I would add one more thing on that too, Kirsten, because we, we like to talk about, um, and you'll hear this sometimes from physicians, breastfeeding is a choice. And if mom wants to breastfeed, great. If she doesn't want to breastfeed, great. Well, I think um, in the trainings I do and in the work that we do in the families, you know, that we interact with, you know, for many families, breastfeeding is actually not a realistic choice. And so that's a societal issue that um, we don't have paid maternity leave. We have, you know, so many barriers um, that, that breastfeeding is actually a choice denied to many parents. Um, and that's that's something that, you know, that's why I'm still doing what I'm doing. So that how do we how do we change that? How do we start to remove a lot of those barriers? Well said, Becky. And Heidi, what you said about, you know, having that support and community around you and that it's not easy. I mean, the grace that you've both given moms listening on this podcast today, but also the um, evidence-based learning that we can get from the organizations that you are so involved in. I just can't tell you how much we appreciate it. The work you're doing to pass laws and protection and concrete boundaries and support for breastfeeding moms. It's its so needed. We have so much more work to do, um, but it, what you've done is monumental. And I just so appreciate the both of you being here and, and what you do every day. Thank you so much. And for those of you listening, if you are a breastfeeding mom, if you know a breastfeeding mother, please pass along these resources. They're things they might not have top of mind, but they need to, especially the Oklahoma Breastfeeding Hotline number, which we will put all this in our show notes. Their number is 1-877-271-MILK, which is also 6455, or you can reach them by text. Please text OK the number two BF two six one two two two. Further resources can be found through the Coalition of Oklahoma Breastfeeding Advocates, Oklahoma's Mother's Milk Bank, and Oklahoma Breastfeeding Resource Center, which also runs the hotline. We will link all of this in our show notes. I know it's so much information to digest, but definitely go look at the resources, get some of those cards, the magnets you can just stick to your fridge so you can know at a glance. This is just so helpful. Thank you again, Heidi and Becky, for being with me today and join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.